You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. So I don't know what you feel like you got to climb this morning and you got to base your identity in, but Jesus is saying, it's not that. It's not your career. Your identity is not in that person. Your identity is not in that social status. It's not based on how many likes or dislikes. It's not based on how much money you got in the bank or how many degrees you have on the wall. It is based on who you are in Christ, and that's where identity needs to be founded on. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, would you turn to Luke 19 this morning? Luke chapter number 19. We're kicking off a new series entitled Wrecking Religion. A new series entitled Wrecking Religion. You say, why would you pick such a title? Because when it comes to uh, the church and when it comes to religion, the biggest thing that I see keeping people out of the church is not Jesus. It's not Jesus. You see, people are drawn to Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at John chapter 10, he said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw everybody to me, is what he said. And yet we have a problem where people see church and then there's labels that instantly pop up. Uh, You and I, sometimes people will see you and I coming and then there's kind of a, they call it thin slicing, a, a label pops up. Like they see you come, they're like, oh, the party's about to get started. Whenever this guy's around, it's fun. Whenever this person's here, it's great. Or they see you, they're like, oh, drama's coming, duck run, hide, drama's coming. Uh, you know, and, and we each have a label. Churches sometimes have labels. And people see the label, even if they've never been to that church, they'll put a label on it. You say, what kind of label? Judgmental. They'll put that label. They'll put a label that says, you know what? They don't really like anybody that's not in their clique. They're cliquish. Uh, there's other labels that people might put on them that, that they, are, are, they, they act too good for you, a little bit stuck up. Uh, I like what one person said that when he was talking about Christians, there are some Christians that are so good, they're actually no good. You ever met them? Where they act so perfect, and you know they're not that perfect, but yet it's, they're trying to be so good. And too often, it's not that people are turned off by Jesus, it's that they're turned off by the churches they've been around. And sometimes, sad to say, the churches that make the news always not, are, aren't always the best representation of the church that Jesus died for. So when it comes to church, I want to spend the next several weeks looking at what did Jesus intend for it to be? Like, why do we gather here? You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot you and I can be doing on a Sunday morning. Some of you were doing really well 30, 45 minutes ago with you and your pillow and those nice warm blankets. Some of you 15 minutes ago. I mean, you, that alarm clock, you hit snooze over and over. You're like, I gots to go now. Uh, there's no more delaying the inevitable, all right? I'll go and I'll wipe the sleep out of my eyes when I get there. It's kind of dark. Nobody will notice that I haven't done my hair or brushed my teeth, you know? It's one of those where if you have to do that and you do a little smell check, you just know it's bad, all right? It's just, it's just bad, okay? But you're here. That's all that matters, and we're glad that you were here. But too often when it comes to church, there are things that keep people away or when you try to invite your friends, your family, your coworkers. And then each week they kind of throw you off, they kind of put it off. There's usually a reason. 
Sometimes it's because they've encountered some negativity or they've encountered something. But what they have not encountered is Jesus. Jesus is life-giving. Jesus is love. Jesus is restorative. He's redemptive. Jesus is a miracle worker. He's a life changer. And that's what Jesus does in our life. You see, I don't have to worry about fixing you. I just let Jesus get around you and let him do the work. You see, as you just start getting people around the right people, you'll just see them start to change. You'll see some habits just start to change. You'll see some things that they used to do just start to change. Why? Just start getting people around the right people. If you just get around Jesus, he'll start to change you. And so our goal is to put Jesus at the forefront, front and center of our churches. A lot of times people say, oh, Jesus is first in my life. You know, I have some habits I do first in the day. It's why, so I can get it out of the way. And sometimes when it comes to Jesus, it's kind of like check that box, get him out of the way. And then we don't give it a second thought to Jesus. No, Jesus needs to be front and center of our life. And so we're going to look at over the next several weeks, what does it look like to have a church that is irresistible? To have a church, when people look at it, they just say, that place is just irresistible. There's something, I'm just drawn to that place. I'm just drawn to something that's there. It's real, it's sincere, it's genuine. It's filled with people that they just kind of accept you. They, they love you, they care about you. The type of church that if you're the person wherever you go, that you were always alone or that all of a sudden you don't feel alone. It's a type of church that you could be in a big crowd and even if there's a big crowd, you still don't feel lonely. You feel like you're a part of something. You feel like you belong. You feel like you're welcome here. And so you say, well, what does that take? What does that look like exactly? And it's the reason why our mission statement as a church is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We want people to find him. I mean, outside of that, what's the point? I mean, I love our worship music. I love our coffee. Matter of fact, I heard somebody else, they were talking, and they were, they were visiting another church, and I was like, well, how did it go? They said the coffee's not as good. And I was like, yes, excellent. That's what we were going for. I was hoping you'd say something about the worship or the preaching, but I'll take coffee. That's good. At least we got one. And uh, so, you know, there's, there's all these things people look for, but our goal is that people, when they get here, they would find Jesus. And that our goal is when people miss church, that they would actually miss church. You say, what do you mean miss church? Like you actually miss it. You're like, oh man, I want to be there. I can't believe I missed it. I missed it. And so we want that, but how do you create that? You see, that's what we're going to look at. So if you have a copy of God's Word, would you take it to Luke 19? Like I said, if not, it'll be up on the screen. Or if you have a smartphone, you can download the Bible app and you can look on your phone. Because I firmly believe, I don't want you to just come to church on Sunday and just kind of listen and, and just kind of take my word for it. I'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word so that you could see that, no, this is exactly what it is. Because there's some verses I'd love for you to highlight and underline and circle and, and, and really get it into your life and into your heart. And I also love it when you take notes. We say note takers are history makers. So if you need a life journal, stop on your way out. And uh, the note on the, the little post note says they're $10 today. I'll, I'll do a special pastoral discount, $9.99, all right? So uh, that's a discount for today. Help yourself. Get it while it's hot, all right? This is end of the summer sale. Back to school supplies. I, I'm trying now. You need a notebook? There you go. Like, I don't go to school. Well, just get one. Give it away to somebody who goes to school. I digress. Luke chapter 19, verse number one, it says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Would you please say passing through? We're going to come back to that because that's important. 
A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Please say Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was a wealthy and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, I like Zacchaeus. I, I really admire this man. There's, there's a lot to like in these short, short, short verses. All of a sudden, I just feel a kinship with this guy. Now, all of you tall people will never know. You never know our pain, all right? But Zacchaeus, he's my brother. It says he wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I've had this problem. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Now, hold on just for a second. The Bible told us earlier that he's a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. When's the last time you saw Bill Gates climbing a tree? When's the last time you saw Mark Zuckerberg climbing a tree? When's the last time you saw somebody of stature, significance, and importance climbing a tree because they wanted to see, for all better intensive purposes, a celebrity? Not very often. So what drives this man that he wanted to see Jesus? What, what was it that he was willing to kind of look like a fool? That he was willing to do something kind of weird. And no, he didn't work for TMZ that he needed a really odd photo or something. That's not what he was trying to do. You see, he wanted to get a picture of Jesus. He had heard about Jesus. He wanted to know, is this guy for real? He wanted to know about Jesus. So he climbs a sycamore fig tree. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Oh, I love that. You say, why do you love that? You say, why? Because Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus, so he had to climb a fig tree, but Jesus still found Zacchaeus. Even if you can't see him, he can see you. Oh, man, some of you are going through something, and nobody else knows that you're going through it. And I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus knows that you're going through it, and he sees you this morning. You wish other people would see you. I'm going through and I'm studying a book right now about different personalities. And there are some of us that will suffer in silence. We won't tell anybody that we're suffering. We're always the one to help everybody else. And so we just kind of keep it in. We just bottle it in, bottle it in because we're helping so many other people that guess what? We have a hard time telling other people we're struggling. But I'm here to tell you, if you're that type of personality, that you're always helping and you're always giving, you're always serving, you're always doing things for others. And yet you are dying on the inside. Jesus sees you this morning. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. So he came down at once, and the Bible says that Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Now, this is double what the law required. The law required that, hey, if you stole from somebody, you got to give them double back. He said, no, 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 I'm going to do more than the law requires. I'm going to give generously. I'm going to give lavishly. Something's happened in this man's life. Something has drastically changed. So Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's the goal. What I'm amazed by is the fact that when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house, there were some people that were 
they were, they were angry about it. They were upset that Jesus would go to the chief tax collector. Now, you got to understand something. In that day and age, a chief tax collector, this guy was considered the lowest of the low. There's nobody quite lower. You say, no, criminals and people that sell themselves, they're lower than tax collectors. No, not in this day. Not in this day. The lowest of the low was a tax collector. That's, that's, his, that's the bottom of the barrel. If you murdered somebody, you're a step above this man. And for Jesus to go to his home was a disgrace. Here's what I'm amazed by. People that were unlike Jesus liked Jesus. So here's the question. If people like Jesus and we're supposed to be like Jesus, do people like you? Just a question. Just a question. I, I know you're, you're not going to be the type of person that everybody likes you all the time. Can't be a people pleaser. But for the most part, sometimes one of the biggest things that keep people outside of Jesus' church is the fact that it's not the church building, the four walls, the worship, the music, the child care. It's the people. One person said, oh, I love the world. It's just the people I can't stand. You know, I think sometimes people say, oh, I have nothing wrong with the church. Oh, I like the church. I love the church. It's church people I don't like. And sometimes you and I, we've had some of our most hurtful things happen because of church people. And it's sad because we know we should know better. But here Jesus, he's being criticized because he's going to the house of a sinner. Why? Because when it came to what Jesus was trying to do in this passage, understand something, that they, these Pharisees who were against Jesus, it wasn't because of a scandal. Never once did Jesus do anything that was wrong in his character integrity. Every time the Pharisees were mad at Jesus, it wasn't because of a scandal, but because of a miracle that he did. Every time. And so here these Pharisees, they're out to stop Jesus, stop what he was doing. But yet here's Zacchaeus, and his life's going to be forever changed. But there was something he was drawn to, and he was drawn to Jesus. Please write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus was hard to resist and impossible to dismiss. He was hard to resist and impossible to dismiss. You see, there's something about the life of Jesus that when we pattern our lives after him, all of a sudden there's something irresistible about him. There's something that drawing, that just draws us to him. Jesus, wherever you saw him, he was serving, he was loving, he was healing, he was doing miracles, he was giving. And so there was this natural draw where Zacchaeus, a person that he, he, he's been around religion, he gets it, but yet there was nobody quite like Jesus. And all of a sudden he's drawn to this man, Jesus. And you and I, that's our challenge, isn't it? That what is wrong? Why, why is it so easy for people to put us on the side, for people to ignore us? Is it because we too often, we kind of get where the Pharisees are at a little bit? Oh, there's certain people you hang around. There's certain people you don't hang around. There's certain places you go. There's certain places you don't go. And all of a sudden, we kind of become this standard. And, and if you follow the standard, that's how you earn salvation. There's things you've got to do. Here's what I love. This man, Zacchaeus, he climbed a tree. Why? To see Jesus. He was climbing something. He was doing something. And a lot of us think we've got to climb to go see Jesus. We've got to work to go see him. But what did Jesus do? Jesus came to him. That's grace. And Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your house. Jesus didn't say, hey, I want you to come over here. No, Jesus said, I'm going to go to your house. This is all grace. Everything that Jesus was going to do, he was going to do it out of grace and love. You see, Jesus was, he was hard to resist and impossible to dismiss. Why? Because Jesus was not something improved. He was something totally new. 
You see, too often we just kind of improve on things. But Jesus was something new. Jesus was a new way of seeing things, a new way of doing things. And that's where I want to spend the bulk of our time. I want to give you three words that I want you to write down and I want, to take, I want you to take with you and think about it this week because I think it will change the way our church is because I can't just do this as a pastor-led thing. This has to be cultural in our people. We have to understand that, wait a minute, we want to be a church that leads people to find and follow Jesus, but am I finding and following Jesus? Or is it something I check off my list on a Sunday? Or is it more than that? You see, Zacchaeus had had a, 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 an amazing experience that transformed his life. And because it transformed his life, all of a sudden he's now saying, hey, I know I've cheated people, so I'm not just going to restore their wealth. I'm not just going to double it. I'm going to give them four times. I'm going to give it back to them. You see, what about in our life is transforming us? Where people on the outside were like, wow, you used to be a cheat, a swindler. Something's changed about you. I don't know what it is, but I just like it. There's something really attractive. Something has changed inside of you. You see, first of all, I want you to see Jesus was relational. You see, in verse number three, it says Jesus wanted to see uh, who Jesus was. What was that draw? Jesus was, first of all, relational. He sees a person, he's gonna, and, and Jesus goes right to him. He wants to have a relationship. If you were to take the Bible, it's split into two halves. You have what's called the Old Testament, and you have what's called the New Testament. The word testament, it's an inaccurate translation. It should be the word covenant or promise, a promise. Uh, old promise, new promise. Well, the old promise, Old Testament, uh, people always refer to God in many different names. And it'd be a great sermon to hear about the names of God. There's, there's so many names of God. But when you hit the New Testament, New Covenant, Jesus uses a new name for God that people weren't used to hearing. The word that Jesus used was Father, Hebrew word Abba. And if you ever go to Israel today, when they talk to their dads, it's really cool because you see little children saying Abba. And there's just something about it when you hear that. It's like saying Papa. Uh, I don't know what you have your kids call you, but Cain calls me Papa, and uh, uh, Austin calls me Master, and then Megan calls me Daddy, okay? That's just kind of what we have. It worked out, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. I love to mess with Austin, and whenever you tease Austin, he always says, stop, and it's just really long, drawn out, stop, and uh, if you ever work with him, you just, you just know, stop, and uh, it's just his way of just, just uh telling you to stop. And, uh, but uh, it's, it, it, we all have our different names that, that you want your children to call you, and it's a term of endearment. We all, we all have a different one. Or maybe there was a term you called your dad. But Jesus, he changed it because before there wasn't a relationship with God, but all of a sudden Jesus introduced this term for God that at that point would have seemed almost, almost sacrilegious to bring, G, to bring God into this relationship. All of a sudden, that's attractive because that's what God wants to have. He's changed from the Old Testament. Now it's the New Testament where he's now saying, I want a relationship with you. It's relational in nature. So Jesus is the embodiment of what God wants to have with you and I, a relationship. And relationships are great. And imagine all your best relationships, your best friend, a, a spouse, or, or somebody you've been in love with. And you just, man, there's something great about it. But then it always had some negative too that you had to work through. Now imagine Jesus where there's no negative, it's all positive. What a relationship. 
What a relationship. And Jesus is relational. He wants to have that relationship with you and with me. Jesus is relational. Not only is he relational, he's relatable. You say, what do you mean he's relatable? Jesus said, I want to come to your house. I want to have a meal with you. I want to sit down with you. No, the teachers of the law in Jesus' day would not do that. They were up here, you were down here, and the two never mingled. But Jesus, you would find him sitting with people, eating with people, going to weddings. He was not only just relational, he was relatable. He was somebody you'd want to be around. Let me ask you a really simple question. Do people want to be around you? It's just a simple question. I try to be friendly to people. You say, why? Because it opens the door for me to present Jesus to them. So I want to put people's guard down. And so I don't always lead with, yes, I'm a pastor of a church. Immediately a wall kind of comes up. Immediately they kind of like, oh, I just said this. Or immediately they want to hide whatever they were smoking. Jane just grabs it. What's up? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Oh, you're here today. She's been in Rich Kids the last several weeks. No, she's very relational, just, just great. No, when it comes to being around people, you don't, you, I don't want to leave with that, but I want them to know that, hey, I can relate. I can relate with this person. Why? Because then I can steer the conversation toward deeper, more meaningful, spiritual things. Because I do believe in a heaven, and I do believe in a hell. And I do believe that Jesus died for all. In this passage, we're going to see that Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And I do believe it's our job to find those that are lost, to leave the 90 and 9 and go after the 1 and say, there's hope. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. And there's a place where you are welcome this morning. There's a place where the world may not see you, but guess what? Jesus sees you and Jesus is at our church and our church sees you so we'll go to the lost we'll go to the the ones that are looking the ones who need something and we'll say hey we see you we love you we care about you and so Jesus is relatable he's relatable too often people would see the church and say I just don't think it relates to my situation can I talk to you just for a moment sometimes you'll come on a Sunday morning and some of you have been saved 10 15 20 30 years and you know this Bible and last week we had you hold it up and when I kind of asked you a question how many of you really know it and some of you I was quite frankly surprised that you raised your hand at some of the numbers not that I think you're not a great Christian I was just a little bit impressed I was excited that we have so many people that know God's word and so sometimes you'll come on a Sunday morning and you may leave and on Sunday afternoon and say man it wasn't as deep not enough Hebrew not enough Greek and I get that but I need you to understand something church let me give you the why behind the what that we do on a Sunday morning we've got people that are coming to church for the very first time and if they come for the very first time and I break into my Greek and my Hebrew and I butcher it all of a sudden they may not receive it they may not it just might go over their head so we've got to give it to them in a way that they can receive it so I'll use some jokes I'll use some humor and I'll put it there why so that everybody can get it because I believe the gospel is relational it's relatable but I also believe third one it's relevant I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant to your life and to mine. So I'm going to put it there and make it practical. Because the moment that you see it's relevant, all of a sudden, guess what? You see that I need it. I need it for my life. I need it for my work week. I need it for my relationships. I need it for as I'm in traffic on the 101 and as I'm frustrated with people who cannot drive. I looked at somebody the other day and I could see the look on their face. They were like, I know I can't drive. I know it should be easier than this. I give up, okay? I'm like, you're in the middle of the lane and you quit. They're just like, I don't know how to do this. I know this should be easier. I just, I'm, I'm dumb. You've met that driver. And if you didn't laugh, you are that driver. And... Um, 
So when it comes to relating to people, we want people to know the gospel is relevant. It'll make it easier for you to be able to witness that coworker. Because sometimes they think in church and they're thinking, man, I got to stand up here, sit down here, got to uh, drink that, got to taste that, got to say that, repeat that. You know, we're going to do it in Latin, okay? I barely speak English. And uh, now we're going to do it. You know, and, and they got all these things. They don't know how it applies. And we want to make sure that they know that, guess what? This, this message is, is life-changing. It's, it's relevant. But here's the, the biggest takeaway. And it was found in verse number one. And this is where I want to spend the next few minutes we have together. Remember verse number one, the last little part of the verse? It said something powerful. And it said that Jesus was passing through. Through. I love this part. And I hope this will minister to each and every one of us. You say, why? Because Jesus knew that there was a man named Zacchaeus whose life was a wreck. Jesus knew that there was a city there that had some real issues, some real problems. And it would have been easy for Jesus to say, I'm going to go around it. I'm going to take an alternate route. But Jesus said, I got to go through it. You see, too often what we do is we see somebody whose life is a wreck and we hide from them. We don't help them. We don't go through it. We don't want to wade into the mess of somebody's life. We don't want to take the call that's coming in at midnight because we know that this person is going through a crisis, but we're tired and we got to get up at 5.30. So we would rather not go through it. We would rather avoid it. And if you are avoiding them, guess what? You can't affect them. So we cannot be a church that hides from those that need help. We can't be a church that is avoiding those who we can affect. We can't be the church that we are shaming them. We can't shame them and then expect to save them. And sometimes we'll talk about people who live differently, act differently, talk differently, and we'll put them down. And guess what? If we're doing that and if we're guilty of doing that, we'll never be able to help them and to save that person. You see, too often the church is guilty of running from people that we need to be reaching. And so now we've got to step back and say, you know what, here's what we've got to do as a church. We are, as a mission, we say we exist to lead people to find and follow Jesus. But guess what? Some of you, you hear that and you think that's the pastor's job. No, it's each and every one of our job. That's the mission and mandate of the church. That we are called to lead people to find and follow Jesus this morning. That's what we're called to. That's what we're all about. That's what we need to do this morning. But yet too often we are guilty of avoiding what we should instead say, you know what, I'm going to need to run to that. Because Jesus said, I'm going to go through it. Jesus saw you and he saw me and said, hey, I'm not going to avoid you. I'm going to go through it. I'm willing to walk through this mess. He saw our sin. He saw our shame. But he said, hey, I love you in spite of all of it. I know some of us, you may be like me, and you kind of grew up in a good family. You didn't come from a background where you were involved in a bunch of what we would call, unquote, call sinful or bad or really shameful activities. But some of us were. And some of us, we know what Jesus saved us from. We know. We can recount where we've been. And some of us, we just need to thank God that he saved us from some things. And we need to just step back and say, God, help us to reach somebody else. Help us to not be the church that says, no, we avoid the sticky, the ugly. No, no, we embrace it. Look around at the neighborhood that God has placed our church in. I feel like we have a job to do. I feel like we've got a mission. I feel like there's something God is saying. As a neighborhood that 
people have just kind of given up on, that we just say, hey, how can we step into this neighborhood and bring real and lasting change to the community? The church just can't say we are the hope of the world without ever actually doing anything. Here we're saying, hey, uh, be warm and be filled, but we're not providing bread or giving coats. We're not doing anything about it. You see, Jesus said, I'm going to step into the situation. I'm going to be real. I'm going to give relevance to it. But I love the fact that Zacchaeus, he was open to receiving it. Notice something powerful just for a second. The Bible says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which is kind of a misnomer because immediately when we hear that, you know what we think of? We think of IRS and audit. We think, man, they're coming after me. They want my money. They want that 10%. They want whatever their cut is. But that's not actually what he was. He actually was more of a customs agent. And what would happen is any import or export that came through or in and out of Jericho, he was there. And so anything that came in, he got his cut. And nothing came into Jericho without this man touching it. And nothing left Jericho without him touching it. Now here's what's interesting. The tree that he climbed on was a sycamore fig tree, which is native to this area. This area, or not, excuse me, it's not native to this area. It's foreign to this area. This area is known for its trees, but it was great for growing these sycamore fig trees because a sycamore fruit can make a special oil, and the special oil was very valuable, and the special oil was sold around the world, but it came from Jericho. And it was amazing that here Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. He made his wealth from this tree. But yet he was looking for something. When he was looking for something, he was climbing what he thought his success was. And some of us, when we find ourselves in a desperate situation, we go back to that thing. We think, this will save me. And here's Zacchaeus. He is climbing that tree. He is climbing something that once brought him success, that once brought him fulfillment, that thing that once he thought, man, this is what my life is all about. And it's interesting that Jesus stopped and saw him in the sycamore tree and said, hey, guess what? Come down. You see, Jesus wants you to let go of what you're basing your life and identity on. And he's saying, hey, your life isn't that. Your life is bigger than that. So I don't know what you feel like you got to climb this morning and you got to base your identity in. But Jesus is saying, it's not that. It's not your career. Your identity is not in that person. Your identity is not in that social status. It's not based on how many likes or dislikes. It's not based on how much money you got in the bank or how many degrees you have on the wall. It is based on who you are in Christ. And that's where identity needs to be founded on. And Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, come down from there. And I want to say to you this morning that Jesus is saying to you, come down from there. Come down from that idol, that thing that you think this is where I find my satisfaction, I find my purpose. And Jesus is saying, hey, there's a whole big world out there. I love last week we said, hey, Jesus wants to introduce you to a you you've never met before. But it comes when you got to let go from something. And it would have been real easy for Zacchaeus to say, uh-uh. You ever had a two-year-old that climbed up on something? You say, come on down. What do they do? No. Have a little argument with you? It would have been funny if this little man would have been up in that tree and said, no, forget it, Jesus, go away. I like my tree. I'm going to build a tree for it up here. I'm going to have a little house, a little party. Just me and my little figs. Make my oil. But no, he came down. And this morning, Jesus may be speaking to you saying, hey, you need to come down from those things. Those things that you built your life on. But yet, Jesus, to do that, did something. Jesus, and please write this down, please put it somewhere. Jesus, to reach a man like Zacchaeus, was intentional about being uncomfortable. And that's the key to the message. You say, hey, how do we be a church that leads people to find and follow Jesus? We have to be intentional about being uncomfortable. 
A presidential candidate my wife was sharing, I've used this quote so many times because it's so good. This is tweetable. This is hashtagable. This is snap worthy. She said, find your comfort zone and stay out of it. That's the key to success. The church has been guilty of finding our comfort zone and saying, oh, I'm good. Of climbing our little trees and saying, I'm good and never doing anything else. The reason the church is resistible is because we've siloed up and we kind of said, this is my tree. And sometimes we have people hanging onto trees that say, this is the only way to sing music. This is the only way you need to dress in church. This is the only translation of the Bible that we can have. Hey, this is the only way the Holy Spirit works. Hey, this is the only way to do ministry. They're hanging onto a tree. And Jesus is saying, come down from that tree. Come on down from that tree. And I want you to find Jesus. Because our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. And we've got to be intentional about getting uncomfortable. You're going to sit on a plane maybe this summer. You may go on a trip. You're going to sit next to somebody. And it may be an opportunity for you to tell them about Jesus. And I know that's the last thing you want to do. You want to put in your headphones. Because the moment you put in your headphones on an airplane, that means shut up, don't talk to me. Wake me up if they're bringing peanuts. Those aren't noise canceling. Those are people canceling. And maybe you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to have a conversation with this person. And I'm going to pull out a Bible. I'm going to tell this person, hey, guess what? There's a man. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross. He shed his blood for you and for me so that we can have an eternal home in heaven. Hey, do you want to know more about him? I'd love to tell him about him, tell you more about him. Because that's what we're called to do. And some of you say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You don't have to have the gift. We're called to. Because we're called to be like Jesus. Just act like Jesus. And people will be like, hey, what's different about you? When I was 15, I worked at a store called Steinmark. My brother who's here, he worked at the same store. Kind of an Ermler thing. I don't know what it is. And when I was 15 years old, I had a manager. He hired me. His name was Lewis. Lewis hired me. And then when uh, I was about to leave, because in the summer times, I'd work at a camp for uh, deaf handicapped people. I got to be careful when I enunciate deaf. Some people think I'm saying dead handicapped people. No, no, no. Deaf. Deaf. And I would leave for the summertime. And I was leaving, but Lewis fell ill. Lewis had pneumonia. Lewis had a past to him, and because of his past, had gotten very ill, a lot of diseases. I was 15 at the time, high school, you know. Things are going on, busy. And all of a sudden, I remember getting calls from people at the job saying, hey, Lewis is getting worse but he's asking for you to come see him. Here's the thing about Lewis. I'd witnessed to Lewis many times. Many times we would close the store down together because nobody shops at Steinmark. How many of you have even heard of the store? Thank you. See, nobody's, nobody's really heard of it. They're like, what? So we'd close it down, and I would, I would bring little cards. I'd put them on your give envelopes and your connection cards. It's called an outreach card. And I'd be like, Lewis, you should come to our church. Lewis, I want to talk to you about this. And Lewis said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fit in at your church. Lewis was gay. He said, I, I wouldn't fit in there. He said, I, I just, it, I'd be uncomfortable. I said, Lewis, I, nobody cares about that. Jesus cares about your soul. And that's the most important thing. Is where are you going to spend eternity? And Lewis would always laugh it off. He goes, push it off. I said, Lewis, one day you're going you're gonna to get saved. One day it's going to happen. 
But Lewis' health began to deteriorate. And I remember my manager calling me and saying, hey, um, Lewis is asking for you. Can you go see him in the hospital? I said, sure, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. 15, you know. A week or two went by, and they said, hey, Lewis is getting worse. He can't talk anymore. So he's writing on a piece of paper. Would you ask Micaiah to come see me? You'd think that would start to get to me. I was leaving for the summer. I was 15. I got things to do. Too busy. I took off and I thought, he'll pull through. I get into Tennessee and I get a call. Lewis passed away. He asked about you. I always wonder, what would have happened if I would have went and seen him? And said, hey, Lewis, God loves you. Do you want to ask him into your heart? I want to give your life to Jesus? Because it's never too late. Look at Zacchaeus. How old do you think he was? Jesus still found him. Jesus will find you. I carry that story with me. But it's what motivates me. It's what says in my heart that, guess what? There won't be another Lewis that I miss the opportunity to talk to. There won't be another person that I pass up on the street. I've got to tell people about Jesus. Our church has got to tell people about Jesus, how he died for them, how he loves them, how he can transform their life. That's why we exist. It's not just so we can sing and worship. There's other churches we could go to do that. But we are called to be salt and light. We are called to make a difference. We are called to change a city. And we do that by making much of Jesus, by telling people that, guess what? I found him, so you need to find him too. That we are going to bring not just hundreds, but yes, thousands to Jesus. We need to fill up this auditorium with people who don't know Jesus and say, guess what? you got to meet a guy named Jesus. And there's a skinny little white dude up there, and he's going to tell you about Jesus. So you just get your butt down here, and guess what? You're going to hear about Jesus because we want you to know him. We want you to know that he loves you, that he sees you. He died on a cross for you and he's coming again. He wants to bring you to a home in heaven. He wants to take away your, your pain of your past. He wants to give you a future that is bright. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. And that's why our church exists. It's not existing for other purposes, but that we believe that we exist to lead people to find and follow Jesus. That's our mission. And I believe that we can be an irresistible church if we make that our mission. If you believe it, please stand on your feet. This morning, I believe that that's our challenge. I believe that's our call as a church. That we are supposed to take this message of Jesus and tell people. Just tell people, tell anybody, tell everybody. Every week, I tell you, there's a card on your seat that you can go leave in a restaurant with your waiter. You can leave it with a friend and say, hey, come to church. They're not going to hate you. They're not going to say something bad. They're not going to curse at you. You're going to say, hey, I like you. You should come to my church, especially if you're single. Who knows what could happen? Come on. You might date somebody, find somebody that fits your little list. and be like, do you know Jesus? No, that's fine. Come to church. We'll fix that. I'll baptize you, you know. See, Jesus wants to change people's lives. And you can be a part of that story. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. 
If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.